so this is the uh, Saturday morning in Thailand call and uh, uh, Friday evening call in the U.S. And that we were just started to talk about uh, that the Dhamma is basically everything is already arrived. Everything is already there. And that in the West, can you turn your uh, mic off? You've got a chicken behind yep. you. Uh, so, uh, in the West, we are trained to get stuff done. We are trained to perform, starting actually with the first grade, that our toys are taken away from us and we're put to work at about the age of six. And we have to go to school, we've got appointments, um, uh, especially if we've got a soccer mom or a helicopter mom, then there's just always some sort of activity, extracurricular as well as uh, uh, in there, and we're trained that way. And so uh, this is what Eric was beginning to experience. I had it too, is that when I was at the back of Watch So and Moak, or while uh, Eric is out there in uh, backcountry Watch, in Laos, he was complaining, saying that uh, um, that this is not challenging for him. And my answer to that was, is that, oh, having no challenges is quite a challenge for you. Because we're used to having challenges, we're used to having work to do, we're used to having things that need to be done. And the whole point about a, a, a village water, actually more of the um, the forest watts, is to remove as much stimulus as possible. To not have televisions, not have radios, not have visitors, not have much of anything to do. And there you are. How are you going to deal with it? And one of the things that comes up for us is restlessness, which is the uh, one of the major issues with uh, the hindrances, as well as it's built in. It's instinctual for us. I think, in fact, that uh, in our society in the very, very early days of being hunters and gatherers, that we were out on the hunt. We went out to do things. And now, we're in an environment to where there's nothing to do. And that restlessness that's built in from, um, let us say, the instincts uh, to, to, to have, you know, to procreate. Uh, that word procreate, by the way, means to create, to positively create things. Um, the manifestation of that is materialism. And so we have a lot of material possessions that we got because we were restless. We were looking for something. That in fact, you've heard me talk about um, uh, uh, greed and ill will um, as part of the second noble truth. And the that dukkha is wanting things that we don't have. Well, if we don't have them, that means then if I want it, I would be better off if I had it, which means that we're not good enough when we want things. But underlying that wanting 
is a basic restlessness that we go out looking for things to want. We go shopping. This is, in fact, a good man. A good example of that is the shopaholic. We go out looking for things to want. We go window shopping, trying to find something to want. So underlying that wanting is this basic restlessness, which is kind of a dissatisfying position anyway. That's why the uh, the shopaholics go shopping is because they're not content to just sit at home with nothing to do. And yet, the important point that comes with the teaching of the Buddha is that we have already got what we need. There is no need for us to want to go out shopping when we're okay right here, right now. And so one of the stories that I tell about that is um, Pilgrim's, Pilgrim's Progress. Have you ever heard this uh, Middle Ages book? Um, and it uh, is actually a Christian book, but I'm using the, the title of it because the, the uh, Europeans would go to um, modern day Israel, what they call the Holy Lands, and they would go then travel and travel and travel and get to one of the holy sites finally uh and once they got there they'd spend a little time resting up and then they would go tourism to another holy site and in fact i just saw a um uh, a, a google search that brought up a site 25 of the uh most beautiful uh thai watts all right. Now the tie will go to the Watt to be at the Watt. The Westerner goes to the Watt as a tourist and he doesn't stay there. He goes to another Watt. And when he gets there, he goes to another Watt. He spends most of the time traveling and very little time in the Watt. And that's exactly how we have our mentality of being a pilgrim and that we're on our way and in buddhism we would talk about it in in the various buddhist terms but uh the term that i would use here now is a holy place we're looking for a landing spot we're looking for a holy place and we always uh let us say dismiss or put down the holy place that we're in right now and we get up and we go to another holy place. We travel and travel and travel, and very rarely do we get a chance to actually rest. And after we're rested up, the restlessness comes back up, and off we go again. Now, in Western language, we would use this um, restlessness in the terms of boredom. Looking When you're bored, what do you do? You're looking for something to do. You're looking for some entertainment. That when I was in um, Watsumanmok, I remember um, at one time, because I was been basically on retreat for for quite a long time, about three months, and I got bored. And I recognized eventually that the boredom was, 
and the thoughts about, oh, I should go back to the West. I can get a job. I can make so much money. And why am I sitting here doing nothing? And the answer to that was, is that my boredom and restlessness was coming from the fact that I wasn't practicing correctly. That I could, in fact, sit there and just enjoy the fact that I've got no responsibilities and nothing to do. That I have arrived, that I'm already in that holy place. that I'm already at the place that I was looking for. I'm at home now. And yet look in the West how much time people spend actually at home. No, all day long they're out working and then on the weekend they're out traveling. We go shopping. We've always got something to do and some reason to leave home. And then we don't ever get the feeling of actually having a place of home. That's one of the things that I understood most specifically is, is that when I arrived at Watsuan Mok, I felt like I was at home finally. Finally, I was at home. And then a year later, after a long retreat, I didn't feel at home anymore. I was restless again, wanting to go. And so back to Eric, he's saying that he's got no challenges in that what? In, in Laos. And the answer is, is that, oh, you are challenged by having no challenges. So, Avery, when can you come to the point of recognizing that it's okay for you to not have any challenges, to not have anything to do, that you've already got everything you need, you're already at the right place, and we can just sit and relax. This is good enough. And then that restlessness will come back up. Can you hear me, by the way? Uh, Me or Daniel? Because Daniel also has his hand raised, and he was before me. Okay, Daniel. Um, how is the connection for you, uh, Avery? Because for me, Damrata is breaking up sometimes, so I'm just wondering if it's my connection or Damrata's my connection, connection. My connection's been all right. Oh, okay, it's then it's probably mine. Pretty good. Um, so my yeah question was like, this is like exactly the problem that I've been facing, and that is that I will go from one place to another because, oh yeah, this, this place, um, uh, this and that is not good enough. And then I go to the next place and usually I will feel at home for like three weeks and then I will feel like, then I will start to see like, yeah, but this, this little thing is, you know, it's not quite, quite right. And and then I will go to the next place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I'm more and more starting to realize that, yeah, I feel like I just have to like bite the bullet and just stay there and not move and just accept the challenge of not having any challenges um, yeah. because I, I'm like robbing myself of the opportunity <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to like go through with it. And, what um, do you mean by bite the bullet? That's a very interesting phrase. Yeah, I was already thinking about that uh, because for me it feels like it's 
quite like tough <laughs> to to go through it like at the beginning because like at this moment I'm at a new place so practicing now goes quite easily. Actually yesterday I stumbled into the the first jhana because I'm at a fresh place and all oh, the nature is so beautiful and this and that. And then the practice goes really easily and I get into the first jhana. Mm-hmm. And um but uh, by the bullet, yeah, basically, I anticipate that it will be tough, and yeah, that's already a hindrance. Uh, yes, I exactly. I, I will say that I know that the hindrance will come up more when I get bored, but mm-hmm. I guess the hindrance is already there, but I'm not seeing it. Well, the restlessness comes up as a hindrance. But there is the underlying tendency of that restlessness. It's the underlying tendency of, I would say that it's the territorial instinct. That it has to do with traveling. It has to do with going. It has to do with uh, uh, not feeling at home right now. And so... Uh, if we can, in fact, see that restlessness for what it is, and recognizing that the hindrances arise because of the trigger, but that the underlying tendency was already there. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's like um, a scab on the arm is a scab. But underneath that scab is an injury. So in that regard, we can say that that underlying tendency of the restlessness will then manifest itself in the present moment when there's some sort of trigger, when something sets it off. That can be actually an event. It can be a thought. It can be... um, you. For instance, you can look look at a tree and have the thought, oh, isn't that a lovely tree? And I feel really at home with this tree and this tree is really magnificent. And oh, I'm so happy to be with the, here in this tree and look at it out in the yard. And then tomorrow I look at that tree and I says, oh, I've seen that tree before. Where's a new tree to enjoy? Instead of going back to that, tree and feeling back at home again so anything can can trigger that restlessness the question is can we actually see that so that we can do something about it or are we doomed to go back into that state of restlessness without coming to that that statement that I made, oh, that just meant the reason I got restless is because I wasn't practicing correctly. If I was practicing correctly, I would actually enjoy letting the energy come out of all that restlessness to deflate that balloon. And that everything is all right, just as it is. That in fact, this is the purpose of these forest monasteries is to prevent us from having a lot of stuff to do so that we can start dealing with these underlying tendencies. Uh, yeah, the, just uh, one 
quick question about that. Well, not quick, probably. But um, yeah, is it then a bad choice to be at a WAP that actually has like a lot of things to do? Because I kind of like came here with ID, like, oh, I can stay here a long time because there's more to do. But maybe at the same time, I'm like hindering myself from yeah, actually becoming at ease with the restlessness. Mm -hmm. Right, and in fact, that's the work that we have to do is to stop having work to do. That, that look at it in the sense that you are at home now, that you are fulfilled, that uh, there is no place to go and nothing to do, and we can just relax. Rather than being driven by this um, this feeling of being restless, this feeling of being bored, this feeling of looking for something to complete us because we're already complete. Everybody is already complete. Everybody is already enlightened until they think they're not. We're already at home until we think we're not. We're already happy until we think we're not. And so whenever we think that this is not good enough, we can see that and say, wait a minute, everything already is good enough. We can take it out of that negative space that is generated through these underlying tendencies and replace them with, wow, what a relief it is. There's no place to go and nothing to do. And I guess I can hang out and anything that needs to be done can be done later. Let's enjoy this moment. This moment is great. It's good enough. And everything that needs to be done will be done in due time. Can I do it happily or can do I have to do it because I need to do it? Hmm. One of the things that I have also seen with students is, is that they will go from one retreat to another retreat to another retreat. And they're in this retreat, and as soon as it's finished, they've already got a plan to go to the next retreat. They finish at Endera, and then they want to go to Deepa Bhawan, and then they want to go from Deepa Bhawan to some other place in Chiang Mai, and then they're in Chiang Mai, and now this is not good enough anymore. Let me go find someplace new. And in fact, what we really need to do is to recognize that where we are right now is just fine, good enough. Got no worries, no problems. But you see, that goes against our training. Our training is that you've got to go get something that you're not whole, you're not complete, you're not at home, you've got to go. And so we'll get up out of this retreat when it finishes and go to some other retreat When in fact, if we were practicing correctly in the first retreat, then we wouldn't need a second retreat because we already felt, felt like, oh, I finally arrived, there's no place to go. They, they do have a, a part here where there's like more seclusion. So there's like two parts to this what? Uh, one part that's like really removed from the main part where there's like a lot to do. 
Mm-hmm. So on the one hand, when I listen to you, I feel like, oh, I should just be happy where I am now. On the other hand, I think like, oh, there's a lot of like distractions here. So maybe I should just go to the secluded part. And uh, because there is like, of course, the wisdom to write here is good enough. But you also had to go to what's your mock to, to realize that, right? Mm-hmm. So there is there is a good place for it. Um, so yeah, what do I do? <laughs> uh, uh, you can go to the abbot and ask him to give you uh, uh, a kuti in the more secluded area. You can say that, hey, I have settled down so much so that the front part of the Watt, which is pretty laid back all on its own, is now um, that you've gotten to that level of laid back, you can now go to the back part of the Watt to where there really is nothing happening. That a lot of the forest watts are like that, that there's going to be a dining hall and there's going to be um, all of this stuff is fairly close to the front door of the watt or the front gate. Okay, let us say within uh, maybe 100 meters, maybe 500 meters. But then because of the forest and because some of these watts are really, really huge, that in fact, uh, I just read in the, um, uh, again, doing some research that Google says is that the largest watt or the largest temple in the United States is the temple of 10,000 Buddhas, and it has 480 acres, or about 1.7 square kilometers. That's pretty big. Guess what? Watson Moke is bigger than that. (laughs) (coughs) And it's not even considered a major big watt. That, um, in fact, uh, much of the property around some of these temple watts is owned by someone else, but they don't mind at all that the monks are just out in their woods close to the temple. So I would say, in fact, that the ideal location for practice would be maybe a 20-minute walk to the front of the watt, and the front of the watt is a watt that's way out from any town so that you really get isolated. There's really nothing much to do and anything like that. And then we can begin to deal with that restlessness. You can start uh, going to that deeper place of, wow, this is good enough. I finally have arrived. There really is no place to go and nothing to do. And I feel at home. I feel like- Yeah, that's interesting. Even you can like, especially since you're in that setting right now, you can just keep coming back to that again and again, and it'll be like, like now you can see that very clearly because you don't have anything to distract you from just being at home and practicing, you know. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, I'm have. De- go ahead. I'm de- uh, definitely gonna gonna try to go to like the the more secluded place because I think. That's really what I need to do. It's been, it is what I'm like most afraid of, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, I'm definitely gonna gonna talk, talk to the uh, to the abbot 
and uh, see if I can get a more secluded place. Mm -hmm. Well, back in so those thank you for days, that. Mm -hmm. back in those days, um, there was not much English language suttas available. That I remember, and this is kind of a joke. I I think that I picked it up when somebody left it at a bus station. And what it was was a motorcycle magazine. Well, you remember I talked about that I was really into motorcycles. I think in my life that I've owned more than 20 motorcycles, including BMWs. I had a Norton. I had a Triumph. I had a Harley. <laughs> of all of those, my favorite was the BMW. So anyway, um, this motorcycle magazine, happened to have been in what little amount of luggage that I had before. Uh, I don't even remember exactly when that I got the magazine. I may have already been a monk when I when I got it. Uh, but something tells me no that I'd gotten that magazine before I was a monk. But anyway, it had been laying around someplace. And in that time of boredom, I read that magazine from cover to cover three or four times until I knew it completely. There was nothing else to do but read this motorcycle magazine. I would have been better off if I had Dhamma. Maybe I'd have read the Dhamma that would have said, put this Dhamma book down and enjoy your life. <laughs> and so that was that that part of it. And when I said, oh, wow, that's what's going on. I'm reading this motorcycle magazine instead of practicing correctly. And so now I'm getting bored. I'm wanting a motorcycle. And the likelihood of me getting a motorbike is very, very low. And so I, I figured that out and recognized that that motorcycle magazine was a hindrance to me. I didn't throw it out. I just put it put it away or, or something, put it in the corner and then uh, started to deal with that restlessness and recognizing this is OK. Achan Po has put me in this secluded place. Let me be in seclusion. Let me figure that out. Let me find out what that that was about. And then, in fact, this is when uh, several interesting things would happen because he would come and visit me. And the question was, is, was I settled down enough so that when he came into the vicinity of my Kuti, would I know that he was there? That in fact, in the beginning, he'd stand outside the Kuti and I don't know how long he waited for me to figure out that, that he that I had a visitor. He wouldn't cough, he wouldn't make any sound or anything. He'd just stand there. And pretty soon I, I began to get the feeling so that I could actually get up out of the coochie, walk out on the porch while he was walking up. It's, it, uh, some people would call it psychic. It's a sixth sense, but really it's it's real. It's almost like that that every human being has an, their own level of vibrations. And that when another person comes, are you aware of it? I practice that here on the porch. I have a, a kind of a game that I play with my dogs. And that is, is, do I know when someone comes before the dogs do it, before the dogs know it? 
that if another dog comes into the yard and they don't know it, I'll start barking. They'll get up and they'll go and they'll take care of the situation because I know that the dog is in the yard before the other dogs know that they're in the yard. But that's a kind of a psychic ability that dogs have. That they've got that territorial instinct and they're looking around just to see what's going on, but they're not doing it consciously. It comes deeper than that. And so that was one of the major trainings that I got from my Chan Po is to be aware, to be a look, to watch what's not watch in the sense of uh, having work to do for watching, but just be there for whatever's coming up. And when Achan Po would would show up, I learned to be able to meet him when he was coming, rather than wonder how long he had been there without me knowing it. But that takes a lot of time to get that restlessness out of us. And when we are finished with the restlessness, then we're able to see things. It's almost like the restlessness within us is kind of like having a camera that's not on a tripod. That, That the camera itself is shaky. And when the camera is shaking, it doesn't get a good image. But when the camera is stable, when it's not restless, then we can pick up on a whole lot of stuff. We got clear vision because the mind is not shaky. And so that's something that you can gain as a skill by going out into the to the woods, going out into seclusion to get that restlessness out of you so that you can settle down and actually be at home. And you're already at home. And this coochie is good enough. And what about, um, for example, like Dhamma Talks? <clears throat> because uh, I have bought like a second phone that has no internet connection just to download Dhamma Talks. Uh, so I can take it with me without being distracted by anything else. But sometimes I feel like. Yeah, even like reading books about the Dharma or like watching talks by you or by other um, yeah, other Dharma people. Um, there, it's like it's it's I do it because of boredom, mm-hmm. <laughs> not because uh, yeah, just to avoid the restlessness and not because I want to need to learn anything, you know. Mm-hmm. That's in fact correctly. Uh, that as many Dhamma books has been written over the centuries, that Dhamma books themselves can be a hindrance. We're reading the Dhamma books to have something to do. It's time structuring. It's our entertainment. And the question is, can we actually set the book down and actually practice the Dhamma that's in the book? To actually come to the state of, don't worry, be happy. Don't be restless, be relaxed. Be where you are and enjoy the heck out of it. You've already got everything that you need. But you see, when we're in the front part of the Watt, or when we're out in society, there's a huge amount of stimulus, especially when we're traveling. And so we don't understand or we don't see that restlessness. We have to actually get to a place 
were in that place, that cootie out in the woods, there's really nothing happening. Really, the only thing that can possibly happen is a gila monster or a mule deer or something like that will show up. But that's just nature. And so by getting out there and getting stable in that environment, that's when we pick up on how much restlessness there already is built in. That built in is built right into the DNA. And so that restlessness can get really easily triggered. Can we see it and say, hey, I see that restlessness. Hey, I see that boredom. And all I have to do is see it. <clears throat> this is something I've been thinking about, though. It, it's like, since restlessness is so built into us, it'll never, like, it doesn't go away because it's instinctual, right? Like, uh, I, I guess. So the, is it just the more you can see it and the more you can say, no, I'm at home right now, the less restless you become because you just can see it whenever it pops up? Right, exactly. Um, it's very, very much like an argument that if one side of you argues, the other side argues. But in this, with the restlessness, if we have the restlessness and we don't see it, we deal with it by, by doing something, we continue in our movement. We're actually feeding the restlessness by uh, being restless and going. But if we're practicing correctly and we get off where there's really nothing happening and nothing going on, the restlessness comes up. We can say, aha, I see you restlessness. Aha, there you are. And you are not going to make me restless and, and uh, miserable. That I'm going to deal with it happily. And then I could take a deep breath and say, wait a minute, I don't have any place to go and nothing to do. And my restlessness will then begin to settle down. That's what I was meaning by I wasn't practicing correctly, but I could begin to see that. Finally, I could see that. Because I was giving into the restlessness with desire to walk, to go someplace, to go, to leave, to get a motorbike to go back to the West and to, to get a job. But then when that would, wait a minute, I came all the way to Tainan to get away from that job. Why am I now thinking about going back to the West to get that job back again? The answer is because I'm not dealing with that restlessness right here, right now. I'm not dealing with that boredom. And talking to myself into there really is nothing to do and it's, there is no place to go. Chill, baby. And pretty soon that restlessness kind of subsides. But it does get really intense when we're out in seclusion. I was very happy, in fact, when I read that from Eric. He, I said, aha, it's getting to him now. <laughs> he is dealing with a new, deeper layer of stuff. That restlessness is very, very deep, very fundamental within us. And we almost never it see really it. It really is. It's been there since it's been there and we've been like playing into it, like feeding it, because we've had no clue for like however long, like years and years and years and years. We've had no clue that it's there. We haven't been able to see it. We've been dealing with it by going and doing other stuff. 
the whole time. So now re- to reverse it, it's like, oh, it's like, but it is interesting. And it does relax you. Mm-hmm. Yes. Once we begin to see it, once we can see it, now we can deal with it. Now we can make a change to it. So instead of giving in to the restlessness and going to the store and going to the front of the lot and going to town and going to England and going and going and going to to give in to that restlessness, having a relationship with it, an ignorant relationship, and we're doing a dance with our restlessness, which keeps that restlessness going. Once we come into a state like into seclusion, into what we call the back of the lot, out in the forest where there's very very little stimulus now we begin to see that all that stimulation that we were dealing with before that's not there but we still feel the need to be stimulated we feel that need to go do something that whatever we've got right now which is nothing much at all is not good enough we could see it. We say, wait a minute. Wow, I can see that now. That restlessness, that deep restlessness, we can see it. And when we can see it, we can deal with it directly, almost like uh, nurturing, that we can nurture our restlessness rather than being critical or um, giving into it. And so we can nurture ourselves. Oh, yeah, you're restless. That's all right, because you're at home. Get used to it. Everything is okay. No place to go. Uh, Domorado, when you were at the back of the what, um, were there like any other Westerners there? And like how how often would you see uh, or interact with like any other people? Because one of the thoughts that I have is, um, yeah, like when I'm at the back of the world, uh like I won't have like a, a teacher around. But you will, you like in the in the in the past, you had like Ajahn Po, for example. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> and then I'm wondering, like, is it good enough uh, when I go to a place where I like? don't interact with literally anyone else because the place I would go to it's like so secluded like there's not even other practitioners around okay um I'll I'll treat that in in several different uh you asked several different questions so the first answer or the first question that you asked was there anybody else around the answer to that was is that back in the 1980s Watsu and Mok was quite an attraction Bhikkhu Buddhadasu was alive and um, that there were a lot of Westerners. They did the retreats and so people would come to Watsu and Mok and in those days they would come before the retreat starts. Then they would do the retreat and after the retreat was finished, Achan Po would often give people a kuti, which meant then that everybody was getting this silent treatment. And everybody was was there. Um, and some of them, it took a while to get used to, so they'd keep coming to the front of the Watt. They'd keep coming to the restaurants and things outside the Watt and whatnot. But eventually, some of them did get a good um, experience by just staying in that kuti. 
I remember also when I was first ordained, <coughs> normally the way that things work at, uh, at Watson and Milk was that um, some of the monks, but not all of them, because of the place that it was and the size of the Wat, that the, uh, if every monk went on Pendabat, it would in fact um, overwhelm the local people. There would be too many monks out for the village that we were, uh, let us say, walking distance. And so there, did, there was a kitchen, and that kitchen was supported by money from Bangkok. And so um, a lot of us then, I, uh, I did go on Bendabad. In fact, Achan Po took us on, on Bendabad, and he would go out with us. But after a while, um, we started under his um, auspices. We didn't go on Bendabad anymore, that we would let other monks do that. And so we would eat the food. So the normally then the schedule would change from um, going on Bendabot and then having breakfast or uh, eating from eight o'clock until nine o'clock. And then after nine o'clock, then the uh, the lay people would would eat. But after that, um, we would often uh, the monks that watched someone milk in those days would take food in their bowl. Some of the monks would wash their bowl in the washing place and others would take their bowls without washing it, which meant that they had food in it that they would give to the animals throughout the day. Or they could eat the food. Uh, but I remember Achan Po would bring food to me. It would be in the morning because we would eat at eight. But he would often show up at about 1130 in the morning with some bananas or from uh, an orange or um, uh, some fruit that was locally available. I don't remember ever getting an apple, but it was often oranges or bananas that he would bring a little group of bananas. I felt really cared for when he would bring that food to me. Uh, so I'm not sure about how your abbot at that place but I imagine that some of the senior monks are looking out for the new monks that are practicing in the seclusion. That one of the things that was well known about Achan Po is, is that nobody ever knew where he was unless he was there. When he's here, you know here he is. But he, when he is not here, you don't have a clue about where he is. And the reason for that was because he was out visiting the monks who were in seclusion, checking up on them, just walking down the path to see what was going on in front of the watch. And so he did a lot of walking around like that. And the reason I mentioned this is because um, the abbot that you have, he may, in fact, if you've got that kind of watch that has that secluded area, either he or another senior monk will go walking around. There would be somebody there for you if you need them. Uh, <clears throat> that's the thing, like um, the secluded area, it's like so far away from the main ward that you actually have to like take a car. So uh, I haven't yeah. been there yet. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's yeah. very interesting because I remember that for me in the back of the watt there, it was like a 20 minute walk, maybe longer walk. So to go to the front of the walk and, and come back to the cootie, that would take an hour. Sometimes yeah. I wouldn't even go to breakfast because it was just too far to go. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm just going to have to check it out how it works uh, precisely. But I imagine that they have like some people in the other area, in the other area that take care of the food and stuff. And uh, so I should be able to get some fruits and uh, I don't think that should be like a problem. Mm -hmm. But I don't think anyone, anyone is visiting there. I'm pretty sure there would be no one visiting. All right. But I do have well, a we'll motorbike have to... here. Well, we'll have to figure that out, won't we? We'll have to wait and see what happens when you're out there. So good luck. That would be a really good thing for you to do. I think you might be, in fact, Daniel, you might be ready for just going out and hanging out on your own for a few weeks, maybe a month, maybe two or three months. Yeah. Yeah. With no place to go and nothing to do and no stimulus at all. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just, uh, I feel up for the challenge, <laughs> so I'm going I'm to try it. And, uh, yes, no challenges is quite a challenge, isn't it? <laughs> it is, it is, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure yet if I should bring my phone. <laughs> but, uh, well, guess yeah. what? That You've got to be very, very careful with that phone because the battery has got its own life. You uh, may not, in fact, really strong power bank. <laughs> yeah, you may not have a place to power it up. Yeah. I, I mean, if you're really secluded, there's no electricity out there. There's no electric fans. There is nothing. Just real nature. Yeah. I would be surprised if they've got a secluded area that's all powered up, because that actually will prevent you from actually being in seclusion. I can see you there in the middle of nowhere in your cootie with your cell phone going. <laughs> and and you don't even recognize that you're doing that out of restlessness. Yeah, oh, I do recognize it very clearly. <laughs> so, uh, and that's why I think like, uh, I, I can see it like happening again and again and again that I leave retreat because like for a certain amount of time I will not give in to the restlessness and it's getting longer and longer mm -hmm. like I've stayed at a single tree for one month mm -hmm. and I only left after one month but as before it was like 10 days would be my my limit so it's getting mm -hmm. better but um yeah I'm just gonna try it and I will let you know how it goes <laughs> okay well, even though we've been talking about it from the perspective of um, the what life, Avery, you can actually take this, um, these stories that I've told today and start putting them into use. I mean, you're already secluded in I your bedroom. I was just thinking that. I was actually just thinking of that. I was like, well, I'm in my room and I have nothing to do for the next few hours, so I might as well relax and treat that restlessness a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, deal with it. Let it be there for you because we automatically in normal lifestyle just give into it. 
you arrest us and we're told to go and we go. But if you're practicing this seclusion, then the thing to do when that restlessness comes up, you say, ah, I see that. And guess what? I don't have to give in to it. I can sit here and smile and enjoy my life and, and just feel good. And then that restlessness will come up again in the thought and we'll say, oh, wait a minute. I don't have to give in to that. I can just yeah, it'll keep coming back, but I just yeah. gotta keep, you know, being like, oh, oh, it's okay. It will keep coming back because it's an instinct. But we can control those instincts. We can, with the higher part of the mind, the more intellectual, the the thing that makes us human, is what makes us or gives us the ability to, uh, let us say, override or overrule the. Uh, the hindrances and these underlying tendencies. Most of our society is uh, dealing with the uh, people just giving in to these urges, giving in to their desires, giving in to the restlessness, and we do it ignorantly. We're not even aware that it, there's this underlying restlessness that is there pushing us around because we're too busy giving in to it. We're not questioning it. We're not looking at it. And so anyone can practice this issue of seclusion. The Buddha was actually quite big on seclusion. There are several suttas where he talks about it, like the log in the bog. You've heard me talk about that before. To where um, imagine that uh, a log like a cypress tree is falling in, in the swamp and it gets completely waterlogged. And that fire, that, that log cannot be set on fire because it's full of water. But if we take the log out of the bog and put it up onto the shore, like being at home, most meditators will think, oh, I have to just practice a, an, an hour a day, and that's all that I need. But in fact, uh, the other 24, 23 hours, we're giving in to the, that restlessness. So getting that log out of the bog long enough for it to really dry out may take a while. This is one of the intentions of the retreats, but unfortunately for most people, 10 days is just not enough. And not only that, but at a retreat, there's still a whole lot of stimulus, a whole lot of stuff happening, a whole lot of people following a whole lot of rules and we're trying to pretend that they're not there when in fact they really are. But doing a few retreats is a good way of getting ready to actually go out in seclusion. And really getting away from it and dealing with it day after day after day after day, no place to go, nothing to do, no challenges, no nothing is happening. And here I am just like this. <sighs> Where's that motorcycle book? <laughs> where, where can I go? What, I'm going to quit this place. This is too much. And then we can see it and we can say, wait a minute, this is a deep tendency that we all carry around. It's built in, but we have a kind of mind that can overrule that, can override it, can make that restlessness into, let us say, a productive, wholesome thing by dealing with it, by seeing it and recognizing that really most of the things that we do are irrelevant. Almost everything we do is irrelevant. 
but we do it because we're driven to do something. Even if it's what we're doing is irrelevant, let's go do something. But now that we're in seclusion and we can see it directly, we can say, oh, wait a minute. I don't have to go do anything right now, even though I feel like I've got to go do something. Let me sit here and nurture that. There is no place to go. You're all right already. But there is really nothing happening. Can you relax when you've got no stimulus? When you've got no work to do, let that be. And we begin to then settle down and not give in to that restlessness so much so that we feel safe and secure. We feel like we're at home. We feel like that we have arrived, that we are in that holy place, and we don't have to go pilgrimize to the next holy place. We could just stay here and relax. Is that is that actually, I just thought of that. Is, it, is that actually like how the second sort of drama works where it's like you're more, you're so like secure and like used to it that you can like, you're not only like, oh, wow, everything's amazing, but you're like, I've practiced being here for so long that it's like, now I've, I've, I've really dealt with all that recklessness, restlessness sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. The more we see it, the more we deal with it, then the less there is of it. Because we're not giving into it anymore. We're not giving it energy. We're whacking it off. We're saying, oh, I don't have to feel that way. It becomes conscious for us. We can see it. That's the best part. Because then we can answer it with nurturing. Rather than giving in to its desires. So guys, go ahead. Yeah, so. um, Yeah, about the question I asked before. Uh, the reason I ask about the interaction is because I'm kind of like worried, I guess, that I will have even less interaction like on a daily basis in that place than you did at Suamog. <laughs> so that it's going to be like really hard. <clears throat> and that's why I was kind of, kind of asking like how much interaction would you have like in the back of the world at Suamog. Let us say at a minimum that there really is not possible for you to be absolutely 100% secluded. But but um, based upon normal life, let us say in the village, no seclusion, 100% action. Going into the Watt, now it's down to like 80% of action and 20% relaxed. When you go to the uh, to the back of the watt, now you can begin to see that you're at 80 percent of restlessness. Let's start relaxing that, and over time, that in fact it may take a while for that restlessness to really show up, and then we can begin to deal with it. And as we deal with it, sometimes it's actually kind of easy to deal with because it hits us so hard that we say, wow, I'm either going to have to deal with this restlessness by quitting the monkhood and going back to the West and doing something really stupid because at least it's doing something, or am I going to sit here and deal with this restlessness? And that way, it's kind of easy to deal with it. 
because we can see it as dukkha. The bigger the dukkha, the easier it is to see, the easier it is to deal with. It's the really subtle stuff that's hard to deal with because we can't even see it. And so getting into seclusion will bring that restlessness up so that you can begin to see it and deal with it and deal with it happily eventually. Aha, I saw you. And there's no place to go. I don't have to get up to go even across the room. Where I am right now is good enough. So I uh, hope that you guys can begin to practice that. That it actually is going to be beneficial to start staying away from things. You're not going to be able to stay away from 100% everything except when you're dead. While you're still alive, you're going to have to deal with breathing. You're going to have to, you can't get secluded from, from your air. Even the forest is, is full of activity. That in fact, watching the activity of the watt or uh, the back of the watt in seclusion is part of the um, the dealing with the restlessness. That in fact, the restlessness comes because we're not paying attention to how much is actually going on in a place where not much is happening. Can you look at see what's going on? Can you start paying attention to what's going on rather than thinking there's nothing happening and I'm bored? There's a huge amount of stuff happening. Pay attention, wake up. Look at how you feel about what is happening. Hmm. And it all becomes really easy that way. So I highly recommend people spending time in seclusion so that we can deal with some of that stuff that we don't even see most of the time. So guys, this is the time maybe to go practice some of that seclusion. Yes, yeah, thank you very much, uh, Avery and Damarada. This has been really helpful. And uh, thank you guys. Yeah, yes. I will let you guys know how it goes for me. I, I am <laughs> so happy for you guys. I really am. Avery, I'm especially happy for you. I congratulate you. You're really moving along in the Dhamma. So this is um, maybe a time for you to start dealing with your own restlessness. Recognizing it'll, the dirty. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting, which is funny because usually we think of restlessness as not interesting, but dealing with it and seeing it and being like, oh, well, this is this is a big thing that I can that I can relax on and be OK with right now. That's that's interesting. Excellent, excellent. Daniel, good luck with what you talked to about the uh, with the abbot and tell him that you're ready to go to the back of the watt and see what he has to say about it. Yeah. Thank you very much for all the advice. I will let you know how it goes. Excellent, excellent. We'll talk to you later then. All right. We'll see you guys. Yeah, sure. Bye-bye. All right, have a good day, guys. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye.